All right, this evening we're going to be in Titus chapter 2. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Titus 2. Is that right? I always worry about myself sometimes. <laughs> and you won't tell me if it's wrong, like on Sunday, so I need to make sure that I ask the question. You have my permission to stop me anytime I'm way off. or, And I, you know what I notice I'm doing more and more? I'm like skipping entire sections of the chapter. I just look back down and I skip a paragraph. You got to stop me. You thought you were sleeping? It's like, I must have dozed off. He's, he's gone. I'm going to go with, I like that. I'm going to go with that. Come on, wake up, everybody. Wake up. I want to start off with something before we uh, get into the chapter. It's, it's uh, by Adam Clark, and he writes, he's a commentator, and he writes about this, um, about this section of Scripture. Few, he says, capital F-E-W, portions of the New Testament excel this chapter. It may well be, or it may well form the creed system of ethics and textbook of every Christian preacher. Does any man inquire what is the duty of a gospel minister? Send him to the second chapter of the epistle to Titus for the complete answer. It's that big of a deal. One of the things that God spoke to me through this chapter while I was studying for it is, as messengers of God, we really have to take that to heart as to what the definition of a messenger of a king is. He has no right, she has no right to change the message they carry. It is the king's message to the recipient, and the messenger simply relays that message. We have no authority to change what's written or to change what is supposed to be conveyed to the recipient. And I think that's so important as we get along in time, in these last days, in the last days of last days. The last days began, Jesus said so, um, at his death and resurrection. That was the beginning of the final section of time. Now, we don't know how long these sections are. They seem to be about 2,000 years apart, or each and this is the final 2,000 years. And so if that's true from what we read from Scripture, then we are in the last days of the last days here. And it'll be more and more common for men and women to change the Word of God to meet their current living conditions, to diminish sin and to elevate man and to diminish God and to, uh, to elevate man's thoughts and philosophies. So... What a fitting chapter to get into tonight, and, and what a fitting quote from Adam Clark. This is the definition of, or the um, full explanation of what a gospel minister should do. Gospel. The gospel is the saving grace of Jesus Christ given to us. We know that Jesus Christ is God's Son, sent here. We're going to discuss that. To die on the cross for our sins, not his sins, as we sang tonight, he's the only guiltless man, but and yet took upon us our sins at the cross, and that's the good news, the gospel, that we no longer bear that burden of responsibility to pay that penalty that's due. Christ has paid that for us, and that's the message we share. But that's not all we share. That's not the only portion of Scripture we share. If that's the case, we, need, we don't need 95% of the Bible. We only need a few verses to get the gospel across. Now, the Great Commission, and I have that in my notes here, if I can pull that up quickly, is in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Most of us know it. We've been around long enough. If you don't know it, here's the Great Commission. From Jesus to the disciples, here's what I want you to do after I'm gone, after you wait in Jerusalem, are filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the anointing that we'll talk about tonight also. This is the message to the world. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Chap verse 20 is very much a part of this great commission, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Not only does the presentation of grace need to be given to the world, but then all of the teachings of Jesus need to be taught. It is not a complete gospel. It is not a complete commission. It is not a complete church unless everything is taught. Paul says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. All of it is essential. And so this chapter 20, or chapter 2 of Titus, is going to be deep, and I hope you're enriched by it tonight. I hope you have ears to hear. I hope we have the ability to comprehend. And, and, and although there's going to be a lot here, because in every chapter, I mean, it's only three chapters long, and it's a comprehensive letter, you know, so it's packed. Maybe we'll need to read it again. Maybe we'll need to chew on it later on. Maybe we'll need to let the Holy Spirit bring it to our remembrance throughout the week and for us to think about all the things that he spoke of tonight. But I hope we hear it all tonight. And I hope you're blessed because it's meant to be that. It's meant to be a blessing. We left off last week with Paul describing some of the people that Titus is going to contend with. He's there to straighten things out in Crete. He's there to set up leadership in the church, to get some organization, to get some continuity in the messages. One guy's teaching this, another guy's teaching that, and they're they're all over the map, and they're wrong, a lot of them. And so Paul tells Titus, I need you to straighten things out and to set up some leadership there who are not going to declare anything other than the message, anything other than what God has shared. And so he describes some of the people in the last verse there. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Disqualified is the key word. They're no longer qualified to share the gospel or to teach because of their life. They're not allowed to serve because of their disqualification, because of the way they've conducted themselves. And we need to understand that. That's a part of leadership. You need to carry yourself in such a way that you you don't become disqualified. And if you do become disqualified, that's it. You're disqualified. And you step down because none of us, none of us are irreplaceable in God's kingdom. There has always been Another generation, another preacher, another man of God, another person to carry the gospel to whomever. You know, China didn't 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 stop being evangelized. You know, when Hudson Taylor wasn't there anymore. You know, although he was the instrumental in spearheading into that dark place, there were many many others that followed in his footsteps. We're all replaceable. But know this about our Father. He doesn't want to replace us. He wants us to stay qualified. And I hope we hear that tonight. So he's going to tell Titus what's going to maintain his qualification. And what he needs to, when he says these mouths must be stopped last week, here's what you stop them with. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. You're the messenger. You're only allowed to share things that are proper for sound doctrine. You can't do anything with anybody else, Titus, but you. As for you, and I hope you hear that tonight for yourself, as for me. That that is throughout Scripture, that answer to God. What are you going to do with my gospel? What are you going to do with the message that you heard? What are you going to do with my word? You can't. You can't worry about what everybody else is hearing in the room. What am I going to do with what God's given me? As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord, was the response. As for Paul, what would you have me do, Lord? What do you want with me? As, as Paul was blinded by God on the road to Damascus, he says, what do you want me to do? Every one of us is called to that and need to answer that. I had to answer that call. You have to answer that call. Every one of us has to answer that call. Every person, every man, woman, and child in this world has to answer that call. What am I going to do with what God has given me, what God has called me to? As for you, you can't worry about what they're saying, Titus. You won't be saying those things. You speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Sound, solid, rock-solid doctrine, teaching. 
You share the message that God gave. You share his word. And here's some of the things I want you to share. In the church, for a healthy church, Titus, you need to share with older men that they need to be sober. They need to be reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and sound in love, and sound in patience. That's the implication there. Although the word sound isn't there, he's carrying the thought through. Sound in faith, in love, in patience. Those things need to be evident in an older man's life who's been walking with the Lord. Maybe you want me to define who that is. You know, Is it 30? Is it 25? Is it 40? Is it 50? I think it's anybody that can hear that tonight. You're the older man. There's nothing wrong with younger men being sober, sober, being reverent, being temperate, being sound in faith, in love, and in patience. There's nothing wrong with any of that. We don't have to wait for that to take place in our hearts and in our lives. Sober. Sober is, is for us, for our walk as men. We need to be very aware of our surroundings, situational awareness, spiritually speaking. There's situational awareness when you're driving, right? There's situational awareness when you're doing any kind of, any kind of security or anything. You need to have situational awareness. A, a woman walking to her car at Walmart at night needs to have situational awareness. You understand the implication. Keys in hand, pointing out, just like Dad taught me, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're ready to go. And you go through this scenario as you walk to your car. It's the same thing for us. As men, we need to have situational awareness spiritually. Taking the temperature of ourselves. Where am I with the Lord? How is my quiet time? Where am I emotionally? Where am I spiritually? And get that straightened out first. Then I look around to my nearest surroundings. Things within arm's reach. People within my sphere of influence. What can I do? And how am I helping them to be sober and aware? It is not about my well-being today. It's about their well-being. Sober-minded. To be reverent. That's a word we don't use very often. Sometimes we call pastors reverend. There's no one reverend but God. No one should be called that. Sorry, Billy. But we're not authorized to be called those things. Only God is reverend. So when he says that we're to be reverent, we are to revere the Lord, to be sober-minded about him, to be careful about how we talk about him, to be respectful. It says in the definition, uh, uttermost respect, uttermost, not kind of, not I'm pretty respectful, but uh, I mean beyond. It should be shocking to people how reverent you are towards the Lord and how I am towards the Lord. Temperate. You're even. As older men, we need to be even in the Lord, even in our walk, even in our life. Level, not tossed to and fro by everything that's going on in our lives, not weak in that area, but strong. For older men, that's what's required. Sound in faith. My faith needs to be sound, it needs to be solid. It can't be wishy washy. How can I lead if I'm not faithful? And consistently faithful. Teach these people these things, Titus. Tell them this is what's required of them, what's expected of them. I think that's important. I want God to tell me what's expected of me. I don't want to be coddled my whole life. I don't want him to sit next to me and say, it's going to be okay. You know, you are who you are. You're the way you are, the way you are. No, he doesn't call us that. He calls us to grow. He calls us to mature. He calls us to become these things if we're not already. There's a lot of debate as to whether you're supposed to wean your child, you know. And, and there's some pretty wacky ideas out there. I, 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 I'm not going to give you my opinion on things. I'll give you a hint, though. Teeth. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> but it's odd when you see someone who's taken it to the extreme and a five-year-old or a four-year-old or a six-year-old walks up and lifts up mom's shirt and it's like... I don't know what about that, but we're living in a different age, and I was raised in a different era, and so maybe that's just me, and you kind of can look. But if you ever saw a 10-year-old not be able to 
eat food with their own fork and mom's feeding them with spoons. And you look at the 10-year-old and you're like, something's wrong there. There must be a, de- a, de- a, a developmental problem there. We all admit that. It's not just a coddling mother or a, a father who doesn't take the time to teach, because nobody wants to go through that. The faster they can eat on their own, the faster I can eat my own meal without having to worry about, you know, there's just a built-in, if you were to see that, a 10-year-old who just can't, you're like, something must be wrong. Spiritually speaking, as Christians, when you look at someone who's been in church for decades and they can't feed themselves and they can't digest solid food and they're still looking for milk and looking for help and looking for explanations and things. And it, it harkens back to that first Timothy where he says, always learning, but never able to come to the truth. There's a developmental problem spiritually in someone who cannot feed themselves, who cannot read the word of God and digest it with the Holy Spirit's help. That's called, we're called to that. Men, we have to be sound in faith, especially older men. If we're not, who's going to be? Sound in love. That's our default. Now, and and I say that, that's our default as a born-again believer filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the agape love of God wanting to come out of us, and we should be of that mindset and ability that that does happen for the most part. There may be moments where you want to throw the wrench across, you know, the garage or whatever. You may have those moments. I I saw a funny video where uh, a carpenter, a a framer, you know, hit himself. And and as he's about to take his hammer, they said, left hand anger, left hand anger. He goes, oh, he threw and throws it with his left hand instead of his right. We have those moments. But it should be moments. Not Not a defining thing, not a... Not a characteristic. It should be a, wow, that was out of character for that person. That was so strange. Something really must be wrong. The idea is if someone goes to the flesh like that, there should be an automatic response from those who know them best to say, we need to pray for them. Something must be happening in their life. Because that's not like them. That's out of character. Sound in love. Sound in patience. There is a patience that can happen amongst older people that they're just waiting to die. That's not the patience he's talking about here. That's not patience. That's surrender. No, patience is actively engaging spiritually in the warfare and continually having to actively be patient as you're walking with Jesus in this world. Not secluded or, or become a recluse and you sit and you do nothing. You know, that's... Very dangerous. And I'm not talking about physical ability. You can be that in your home, but a prayer, a warrior, an intercessor, you know, someone who reads and is available for a phone call or a text or whatever <laughs> technology you can still master at our ages as we get older. But you're willing to, to give and, and to help and to be patient with all. He's calling us to that as older people. To be sound in patience. That should be their go-to. I remember how patient my grandfather, Ivor, what a great Norwegian name, Ivor, you know. Ivor, very, very Norsk, you know. But I remember him being so patient. With, you know how I was a brat. I've, I've discussed that enough. I don't need to relive that. But I was as bad with my grandparents as I was with my parents, so you can imagine. And as I look back, I'm like, oh, how I didn't get beat every time I went to their house is beyond me. I had it coming, you know. So patient with me. I spent the nights there, you know, I'd, I'd do a sleepover at grandma's house for whatever reason. I never knew why, but I was there, you know, and I just got dropped off and so patient. <laughs> I know why now, right? <laughs> Break time for me. But isn't that funny that that's what I remember about my grandfather at the age of 53, and he's been dead for 20 years now, you know. I remember his patience with me. I remember him sitting there and his facial expression, now very stoic. I mean, there was never, you know, jumping up for joy and hooting and hollering or anything like that either, but there was never that rage, you know, or anything. There was just always this 
constant patience. And he, he had this piercing blue eyes that I can still see, you know, with the, my Norwegian eyes, you know, they go like this. This is what, you know, and his Norwegian eyes looking at me all crinkly. I'm like, when he looked at you, you knew, you know, that was all he needed to do. But patient, to be defined by that, to, to let that be our, our default, that is a patient man, that is a loving man, that is a faithful man, that's a temperate man, that's a reverent man, that's a sober man. We need that. So t- Titus, teach them this. Now, older women, likewise, which means everything he said before still applies to you as well. There's nothing wrong with an older woman not being reverent or, or to be reverent, to be sober, to be temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. Those are all still a part of it. Likewise, older women, that they be reverent in behavior. And now he hits on some characteristics that were common in Crete. Remember, Cretans are all lazy gluttons. We read that last week, you know. They had problems. They had things that were characteristics about their culture that Paul tells Titus, you really got to stop this because this isn't biblical and it isn't godly for a woman to behave like this. I don't want them to be slanderers, not given to much wine, which apparently they were. Teachers of good things, when they teach that they'd admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be homemakers, to be good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. In other words, if you're not doing those things, the word of God is blasphemed. It isn't open to discussion. In order for the word of God not to be blasphemed, these things need to be taught and lived by the older women in the church. And when they do teach the younger women, they may not be there yet, yet, you know, the, the, the young gals may not be there. But when you do teach them, this is what you teach them. So make sure they're teaching these things and don't let them teach anything else other than those things. Don't let them bring in worldliness into their teachings. Keep that out of the church. So be reverent in behavior. Be respectful to the uttermost. Don't be a slanderer. Now, there must have been a problem then, and I don't know. I, I, all I can say is that there's, there's not much you can do about a gossiper or a slanderer except not give them your ear or not be around them. If enough people stopped wanting to be around the sharp-tongued slanderer, then they would pick up on the signals probably. If you can't have or don't have the wherewithal to tell them to their face, we really shouldn't be talking about that person when they're not here in the room. We really shouldn't be sharing these things. There's no biblical reason for us to be talking about them this way to steer clear. And maybe they'll get the picture. No ears for the slanderer. But now, we don't know this for sure. Somebody said, one of the commentators that I read said that this letter would have been read out loud in the church. And I can see that. It is written directly to Titus. He isn't instructed to read this to everybody. But if I were Titus, that's the first message I would have given after receiving this. Hey, we're changing direction in our teaching. I thought I'd read you a letter from Paul, the authority, of what he wants us to start talking about now more and more. And this letter alone being read out loud to the congregation would take care of a lot of problems. Here it comes you guys that are fit into verse 16 of chapter 1, you know, you guys that are uh, being abominable and disobedient and disqualified for every good work, we're going to talk about this. We're going to teach these things, you know. So if he was to say these things out loud, this takes care of a lot of issues. The slanderer who is habitually slandering other people will hear this and realize, hopefully by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I shouldn't be doing this. I have no business talking about them behind their back. I have no business being that, you know. And it also tells everybody else, you know who they are in your congregation, avoid them, stay away from them, don't let them have your ears. We're all called to that. Not given to much wine. Some look at that as permission to drink, fine. Don't be under the influence of anything, ever. So if you can drink wine or alcohol or smoke pot or whatever and not be under its influence, I have to add pot now because it's legal. Because there's a store down the street that has a waving flag that says, buy your pot here 
And as I'm sitting in the new farm store getting my stuff and I'm parked up there, I'm like, that is the busiest business in town. These people, moms and dads pulling in. What are you doing? (laughs) If you can do that without being under the influence, by all means. But as soon as you become under the influence or under the power of that drug, then you're disqualified. So be careful. Not given to much wine. Teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to do these things, to love their husbands, to love their children. You wouldn't think you'd have to teach them that. But in Crete, maybe that's new to their culture. We've been watching some period, um, binge-watching some period uh, TV shows in this. and Now, who knows whether they're exaggerating these things. I probably need to read a history book once in a while as opposed to watching videos of things in the history. But it's amazing how many cultures just accepted mistresses in the lives of the men of that culture, whether that was France or even England or whoever. But that was accepted. Just don't do it in public. Don't let anybody know. But everybody understood that that's what happened behind the scenes. Maybe that's the way it is in Crete. Maybe it needs to be taught. No, you're supposed to love your husbands and your husbands only. You're supposed to have a monogamous relationship with your husband or with your wife. And here's why. Because your wife and your husband represent in your marriage, the relationship between the church and Jesus. Jesus doesn't fool around or have a mistress. Neither should the church have a mistress or a mister. I don't know how that works. (laughs) With anybody other than Jesus. See, I'm called to have a monogamous relationship with my living creator, Jesus Christ. And I'm not to share myself with anybody, nor does he. And so that marriage is supposed to look like that. So make sure you teach them to love their husbands, to love their children. In the last days, it says that the love of many is going to wax cold. The natural love of a mother for her child will become cold. Well, we see that, don't we? In fact, October 1st, we'll be standing up for and against that very thing. That the through convenience and, and through uh, just the desire of not being burdened with the child, we shall, we'll kill it. We'll just have an abortion. We'll do it when I'm ready. It's about me. It's not about them. I don't care about their life. I care about my life. My life is important. That natural love, that, that instinct that God has built into people, it's, it's waning. So to love your children, to be discreet, <laughs> We've talked about that. The whole world needs to be more discreet, more careful, more private. Out loud about Jesus Christ, for sure. Out loud about your faith in Christ, because that's how the gospel is spread, and that's the good news it should be. But as far as everything else, I should be discreet. I should be chaste, careful, guarding myself, protecting myself from the world, keeping myself for my Lord, keeping myself. For him and him only, that I'm his and only his, chaste, homemakers. We've, we've turned that into a, well, it's not exalted in our society. It wasn't exalted in Crete either. But to be a homemaker is, a, is an incredible call, and it's an incredibly difficult job to make a home. It, it's it's not the dusting and it's not the cooking and it's not the teaching of your children or it's not the, those are all mechanical things to make it a home and not regurgitate a public school system inside of your home. There's a difference between homeschooling versus emulating the public system and bringing it into your home. There's a difference. There's a difference between home cooking and I'm adding this because there's love involved versus prepackaged food. You see, there's a difference between these two things. There's a difference between making sure that the home is a, a place of love and warmth and 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 caring and a, a, a sanctuary from the world. That's making it a home. Being a homemaker is a very difficult job to do because the world definitely wants to get involved in your home, definitely wants to ruin it, definitely wants to bring the chaos that's outside into your home. 
you've got to be a defender, and you've got to be a builder, and you have to be a manager, and you have to be creative, and you have to do it all with love and the love of Christ in your heart. It's a very difficult thing to do. But by God's grace and by his Holy Spirit, you can teach them to be homemakers, to be good. No one is good but God, to be a godly person, to be godly as a wife and a mother, to be obedient to their own husbands. Obedient, absolutely. Absolutely. I never apologize for teaching that. It's sad that we feel like and this is part of it, that we can change the message of God in these instances where we feel they're not culturally relevant anymore. We have no, we're not authorized to do that. Because again, and, and here's, it's so ironic. I mean, it's so blatantly ironic. It's so obvious that a church, a portion of the bride of Christ, that is willing to change the message of obedience has therefore been disobedient to God's word, their very creator who wrote this. You see, the, you see how that happens? I, I no longer acknowledge you as the message giver. They deify themselves as someone who can adjust or change the message of God. You, you're not authorized to do that. But in doing so, you've rejected the authority, the the covering that the church is supposed to have of Jesus Christ being the authority. You've rejected that authority. You are now the authority. You are no longer obedient to God. And you write your own. It's so important to understand these things. You cannot have a healthy family and a healthy relationship without these things being taught in the church. The world will try to teach us that we can bypass any one of these or all of these things, and you can't. You can't. That the word of God may not be blasphemed, because the moment you take out portions of the word of God that you disagree with or think needs to be taught differently, you have blasphemed the word of God. Verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Why? Because it's not their natural inclination. Sometimes I'll take some youth, my son's friends, down to a bounce thing down in Kansas City or something, and the back seat is full of interesting conversations. I can't track them. I don't follow them. I don't understand half of it. You know, Louder and louder, more obnoxious and more. It's like, and I don't want to be a killjoy. But part of me is like, okay, maybe it's time to teach these younger men to be a little more sober minded because there does need to be a maturity that takes place. And it's that 13 to 14 age group. No offense, 14 year olds over there. But they get excited around each other and they, you know, they just bubble over and explode. And that's fine. I'll let it. They got a 53-year-old example of what that looks like. I can't blame them for doing it. I do the same thing sometimes. But we have to teach them to be sober-minded. That, that at least needs to be the goal. Whatever age that may be, however that ends up happening, at least start to teach kids to be you know, sober-minded because they're going to need to be. Now, that doesn't mean we need to kill their childhood. <laughs> Zero fun. A man works, you may as well get used to it now. You're six, go milk the cows. I'll be in bed, let me know when you're done, you know, kind of thing. We go to extremes sometimes. But there's nothing wrong with developing, at least, and beginning to exhort young men, encourage them, hey, you know, could you go do that? Could you go fill up the cattle tank with the hose? Well, that's going to require me to go outside. Mm-hmm. You have to put your shoes on, you know. The hose, is it put together? I don't know. You'll have to check and see if the hoses are all put together. It's a long way from the house to get to, or from the well or whatever we're doing. You'll have to screw them together. Oh, oh, you know. A little bit of responsibility, little things like that. Exhort them to be sober-minded in all things. Showing yourself, Titus, to be a pattern of good works. Titus is probably in the young man category. I don't know how old he is. 
But when he concludes here tonight, he's going to say, let, let no one despise you. In other words, as a young man who's going to be teaching these things to older men and, and older women, make sure that they don't have a reason to despise what you're saying because you're a hypocrite. So he tells him here, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Make sure you're doing these things too. You know, in teaching or in doctrine, showing integrity. You don't move from these things. You're, you're solid. Integrity in the sense that I don't teach something that I don't follow. That's for you to follow. I can do what I want. I'm the pastor. But you need to, Titus, you need to be doing it too. Nobody's above the word of God. Nobody's above doctrine or sound teaching. You're included in that. Reverence. Titus, show reverence. And especially to the older men and older women. You really got to be careful about that. It, it isn't an easy way to walk. It's hard when you, when you run across someone who's older and you have to share things maybe they've never heard before. Uh, a lot of churches don't teach the Bible from cover to cover. So when you come across things, sometimes, even if they've been in the church for 40 or 50 years, they've never read that scripture before. That scripture has never been taught. They just It's not a part of the program. It's not a part of the highlights. It's not a part of the reel that they're supposed to follow. A lot of denominations actually send you your weekly topic for today. Like in our Sunday school, Rod, you, you know, we have everybody on the same page, kind of, for the most part, until I mess it up next Wednesday. Uh, next Wednesday, we have the older class in here, and the younger classes are staying out, and so now they're all going to be off one teaching. You know, But we want every class teaching the same thing. Well, denominations will do that same thing. They'll send it out to the pastors. Here's where we are as a group in the nation today. Well, it's, it's not topical necessarily. It is a little bit, but you, you, you don't get through the whole scriptures. You don't get through, through the whole Bible. It's someone has decided this is what we're going to share on, and fine. But with that program or with that style, you end up missing so much. So when you come across a, a teaching or a share something, Titus, that maybe the Cretans haven't heard before, be reverent when you do it. Give people time to digest these things. It takes time. That's new. I've never heard that before. I'm not sure that's true, although you did read it from the Bible. You know, but it's the first time I'm hearing it, and you got to think that. Let them chew on. Let the Holy Spirit do His work. You know. Sometimes we'll get back into school. We just started school a week ago, maybe or so, um, at home, and uh, so we go back to the math book where we left off. If we didn't get it finished, if we did get finished, we still have to do some review, and all of a sudden it's like. Like Bo got stuck with how to divide. He could not get his mind, and I'll do it for you backwards. He forgot that. That portion where you put that there and you divide it, you know, he forgot this. I don't know how to make it in my head. I'm like, you know how to do this. He goes, I know, I know. I can't. Well, you just sit there and think about it. for. And so he has to connect all those synopsis that got fried over the summer, you know. And remember how to pull that information back. Because he knows he knows it, but he just could And pretty soon he's like, oh, you know, like that. God's word is the same way. Sometimes we hear something, it's like, hmm. And you got to think it through and you got to let God rewire your brain. Get our hearts right. Reverence. Incorruptibility. <laughs> Titus, I want you to be incorruptible. See, as you're, as you're young, and older people know what I'm talking about, you, you, get, you get in your ways as you get older, and they become cemented. So here's the, here's the key. As a young person, walk with God, know God's word, so when you do get cemented, you're right where you need to be. You're at least standing in the right spot. You know, you can't, you're going to be incorruptible. You should stop teaching the Bible. I can't make my lit. You know, I can't do it. I'm cemented into it. This is just who I am. If you want that, you'll have to go down the street. But for me, I'm stuck here. Be cemented. Incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Be careful about how you present the gospel, how you share these things. Make sure that the hearer is in mind when you do these things. We can make the mistake of pleasing God at the expense of people, and that's never, that should never, ha it should never be an and or. 
I'm either going to be please God or please people. I should be able to bless people with what God said. You see? It should never be, well, I don't care what you think. I don't care if you get it or not. I blessed God today. No. Because a teacher wants to make sure that the students understood it. That's the point. Otherwise, you failed as a teacher. And God doesn't fail at teaching. He wants people, sheep, whoever, to understand what his word says. And so we need to teach it in such a way that they can. So make sure that you have sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is uh, an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So in other words, the hypocrisy needs to be kept in check. They may say things about you, but they need to be lies. They need to be untrue. Don't let them have a legitimate concern about you. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. We would say, uh, well, I'll just say, they are talking about slavery here, just so you understand. Um, At the time, you would go to church, and as an elder... You may be the slave and your boss man is now under your authority in the church. And then you go back on Monday, back to work kind of thing. And now they're over you. And what an, what an awkward thing. It says, so exhort the bond servants to be obedient to their masters, to their own masters. Don't bring that eldership or whatever God has anointed you to do from the church into your workplace and say, you can't talk to me like that anymore. No, 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 I, I can. Our roles are reversed. This is, this is work. This isn't church. You know, so be careful about that. Exhort the bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. You don't mouth off to your boss. You're not allowed to answer back as a Christian. Remember the goal. The goal isn't for your justice. The goal is for their salvation. So no answering back. Not pilfering. Taking stuff. It was kind of understood in, the, in Crete. It was just an acceptable loss. They're going to steal from us. You know? We don't give them enough wages. or we, In fact, it's even, it's, it's even figured into it. We're going to reduce their wages by this much because we know they're going to steal this much jewelry or whatever it is. And so we just kind of work it all out. You know? We need to order 5,000 pens because people are going to take 1,000 of them home, in other words, you know, kind of thing. So no pilfering. You be the one that doesn't. Now, you know what that makes you look like at work, doesn't it? You ever been that person? I won't look at you in the eye. I don't know if you're that person or not. But if you've ever been the Christian who does things according to the rules, listens to your boss, goes above and beyond, never says that's not my job, the other employees aren't real happy with you if they're not believers. They just aren't. doesn't matter. You're called to be different. Showing all good fidelity. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. In other words, you wear your faith on your sleeve that everybody can see. And the way you carry yourself and the way you walk, what you do needs to be an adornment. God's doctrine, God's teaching needs to be an adornment on you. So, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, underline that, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this or in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there because he goes on and on here. Never thought of the grace of God being a teacher, but it is. It teaches us. Um, it teaches us something. The, the, the legalist would say, too much grace and they're going to run amok. You know? Well, I don't think that's the case. And, and Paul says so too. Grace teaches us in our hearts, within us, to deny ungodliness and to deny or to not participate in worldly lusts. True grace. When I see or experience in somebody who says they've received the love of Christ, who says they're born again believers, who says they've received the grace of God and there's no change in direction, Something's wrong. I was thinking of a way to, to bring this about. And this, so this is a dumb analogy, and I haven't thought it all the way through, so there's probably plot holes in it. But if you were to go back in time 
to 4.30 in the afternoon on the day of the Titanic's first sail. And although they were warned at 5 o'clock they were to be to avoid the ice up there and all, and then again at 8 and so on several times. If you're able to go back and say, if you continue your present course, you will hit an iceberg. Even though you're going to head south a little bit, it won't be enough. You're actually going to go headlong into a huge patch of them. You need to either stop the voyage or find a completely different route because this, this ends in doom for you. If you were able to go back and explain to them that, and they kept their present course... Something went wrong, didn't it? Well, I heard, but it didn't change your course. Something's wrong. The communication, something happened. Are you sure you heard me? Because I see that you haven't moved the rudder at all. Well, as the person, the messenger, who went back to warn them and to save an entire shipload of people, somebody isn't getting it. And a Christian that says they've received the grace of God, but isn't changing course, there's, a, there's something wrong. And that needs to be acknowledged by anybody, either the person giving the message or the person who said they received the message. Something's not right here, because I'm the same person as I was when I first heard. I'm not changing course. Something's not lining up. And it's not the message that's wrong. The message is what it is. You need to... Be saved. And when grace is truly received in a person's heart, when they truly understand that, and the humility comes that God has bestowed riches upon them that they didn't earn. They haven't earned salvation. It's not based on what kind of person they are, it's based upon what Christ did at the cross. When they receive that grace, the natural change that takes place in a person's heart is a new mind and a new heart that's Christ. And you begin to be that as you've received to other people. And you remove yourself from worldly lusts and you deny ungodliness. You start denying your flesh. No, he loved me so much and I love him so much. I don't want to put him in that position of having to forgive me again and again and again and again. There's a purification that takes place in a believer's life, and it should be taking place in a believer's life. And if it's not happening, something's wrong, and it needs to be acknowledged. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, Titus. We should live righteously and godly in this present age. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to be a godly person, to be a righteous person, to be a person who lives in respect of the Lord. We should be doing that now. From salvation, from this grace that's taught us these things. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If he came to save me, and he said that from the foundations of the world that he was going to come and do that. And he did, and he came through. He also said when he left that he's coming back, and he's going to bring us home to be with him. He's preparing a place for us. If it were not so, I would have told you, Jesus says. So as sure as I am of my salvation, I am assured of him taking me home to be with him. And here's what he wants us to look for. To look for Jesus. See, I'm not looking for heaven. That's where he is. But that's not my hope. My hope isn't heaven. My hope isn't uh, uh, the removal of my flesh. My hope is to see Jesus face to face. Him. Some people act like they're going to get to heaven and they're just not going to, hey, dude on the throne. No, that's, that's not it. You won't be able to stop looking at him if you love him, if you've received that grace. It's Christ, you know. It's Jesus. Oh, my goodness. He is holy, 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 and holy, 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 and holy, holy. I don't think I'm ever going to get tired of saying this. He's the most beautiful person I've ever seen. He's the most gracious, loving, humble, amazing. I don't have enough words. Give me some more words, creator, so I can give you them back, you know, to describe you. Paul was <laughs> so looking for Christ, and we're, we're to be looking. That should be our hope, and there's a purifying effect of that. Satan forever wants to get the church to stop looking for Jesus Christ because it purifies us. 
If he can come back at any moment in any day, and it's not that, oh, I don't want to be caught, you know. I don't want him to show up now while I'm doing this. No, I want to be. I, I really like God. I mean, I really love him. I really love Jesus. I don't just ascribe to the philosophy of Christianity and hope that it works out when I die. I truly have a personal relationship with him as you do. I can't wait to meet him and talk with him and sit with him and walk with him in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve messed up. You know, I can't wait to do that again like we're supposed to be able to do now. It purifies me. Oh, he's coming. Imagine you're going to pick up your girlfriend for a date. Imagine you're or your wife, or whatever. It'd be weird to go pick her up for a date. Let's just go with the girlfriend thing. You know? He's excited. You are. You smell good. You took a shower for once, you know? She's excited. She's prepared herself. It's an exciting thing. It's expected. Is he coming? Is he here? Oh, he's going to be early. I better be ready. Oh, I might be late. I'm always late. I don't know, you know? And there's just this... Church is supposed to feel that. That's a normal thing because I'm excited to, to be with him. I'm excited to see him. You know, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, Titus. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. I think he had to tell Titus that. You have all authority to rebuke people with the word of God. You have all authority to teach these things, to exhort people with these things. Because it's not you, Titus. It's the Lord's word. You're the messenger. And you're simply bringing them the message. So do it with the authority of a king behind it. Not as a mouse. Let no one despise you. Make sure you carry yourself in such a way, Titus, that you cannot be despised. See, Titus had an anointing. Paul has an anointing. There's something about an anointing upon somebody that makes this all work. When the Holy Spirit is upon his word and is upon someone sharing the word or someone singing or someone uh, counseling or ministering in any way, when there's an anointing on that person, it's, it's quiet, it's calm, but it's, it's, it's received. It's receivable, you see. Titus, make sure that no one despises you. Live your life in such a way that that anointing can rest upon you. Saul had an anointing from God until he was no longer obedient to God and the anointing was removed from him. David wrote about it. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And he was in a place where God could have when he wrote that. Renew a steadfast spirit within me, God. I think that's a safe prayer for all of us. And a, uh, there's a maintenance that needs to take place. God, I want to stay in that place of obedience so that anointing can stay on me so that I can minister and be a good representative of you, you know, in this world. All right, we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this wonderful chapter. A healthy church, Lord, this is what it looks like. You gave this to us by your Holy Spirit, through Paul, through Titus, through the scriptures that we're reading tonight, and we receive it with gladness. All of it. All of it can be received. And it'll be a blessing when we do. So God, I pray that you'd now help us to be doers applying this to our lives. Not just understanding it and nodding and agreeing with it, but also, as, as was shared, that, that Titus needed to be doing these things in his own life. So do we. We acknowledge that tonight. So Lord, help us to be these kind of men and women that we're taught to be, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.